Hey everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and a very special treat for us today. We get to hear the Michelle Gosgo story. One of the most passionate cricket people you'll ever meet. Over 100 games for New South Wales, a double hundred on test debut, and she even picked up a one-day international wicket, which no doubt will give a fair bit of airtime to here today as well. A stroke survivor and someone who continues to inspire people to love and play the game through her coaching and her emerging commentary career. So it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the Michelle Gosco story on the Cricket Library podcast. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. Michelle Gosco, it is wonderful to have you joining us. Oh, thank you, Matt. I, I'm very excited. Um, the Cricket Library podcast is my favourite podcast. So um, I've heard some great things on here and I'm very pumped to be invited to, uh, to be on it today. Oh, gee, you, you're you're rapidly becoming my favourite guest with those warm words of praise to, to start things start things off. Uh, we do have a background of knowing each other, so I'll try to be as unbiased as possible uh, throughout. <laughs> but um, let's give our listeners a bit of an insight, Michelle. Uh, your passion for cricket you you've yeah. played at the highest level. You've done lots of things that we'll talk about later on. But where was the fire lit for you? Yeah, look, it was probably, well, I'm a 70s baby when I was born, but in the 80s, watching cricket on TV and World Series cricket, uh, things like that, I, I was just so excited just to, to see uh, cricket on the TV and all the coloured clothing and all that sort of stuff. And I was into a lot of different sports. I probably picked up my first sort of tennis ball in the backyard when I was about three. So, wow. um, yeah, and I... I was into motorbike racing, I was into soccer, I was into cricket, I was into tennis. And actually, I was doing tennis lessons when I was, I think I was eight. Uh, Mrs. White was my tennis teacher. And uh, instead of hitting it actually in the court, I was trying to smack it outside the whole court. Um, And she said, well, that's great, except I think cricket might be better for you that you can try and smash a ball over the boundary. So um, that's sort of where it started and my dad was the coach in under 10 um, and my brother was there so I was nine when I first started playing competitive cricket but um, with the mighty North Richmond Cricket Club but um, speaking uh, years later um, to Lee who was the sort of president of North Richmond he said to me they had to have a, a meeting to see if I was actually allowed to play cricket with the boys. Um, oh, wow. Yeah so uh, I was the first female to play at the club and they had to decide whether you know, to to allow me to play, and thankfully they did. So I'm I'm very thankful that I was allowed to do that, and I played there till under 16s, where I captained the boys. So, um, and no helmets back in those days, Matt, as you know. Um, it was pretty difficult. And on, on synthetic on a, a Saturday morning, that's probably had a bit of rain on it. Um, you learnt how to evade a good bouncer because. And they didn't. They didn't want to get hit by a girl or, or bowled out by a girl. So I, I learnt good cricket skills on a Saturday morning. Wow! And was there a was there a female pathway as such back then? Like, did you did you have representative cricket that you could play with the girls, or was it just wholly and solely Saturday mornings with the boys? Um, I I, I got into Penrith Cricket Club. I think I was thirteen. I played fifth grade out there, which was open age, and it was so much fun. We only had sort of eight players every week. Um, and back then it was sort of retire at 50. But through there, um, Dot and Bob Brewer actually saw me playing some cricket. And they were the ones that sort of told me about representative cricket. And year eight, I think I played for, back then it was Met West, um, which led into CHS second. And from there it led into, there was an under 18 team. So I think I was 14 when I first played in the under 18 side for New South Wales. Um, back in the day and then they also had city versus country so there wasn't a whole lot of cricket around but there was a little bit um and to find out whether you made a team or not you'd be waiting um with the snail mail to see if you made the team back in the day um you hope that that letter didn't get lost um but yeah they had they had some small pathways back back in the day um 
which was good. Uh, and I mean, I was—I think I was twelve when I saw Australia play India women at North Sydney Oval. I think it was nineteen ninety-two or something like that. And um, I remember watching India get a hundred runs in a hundred overs. I just turned to my dad and I said, "I'm not playing like that. I, I want to be a bit more aggressive." <laughs> um, I think Belinda Clark actually, it might be 1990, Belinda Clark got 100 on debut, um, I think, or got, someone got 100 on that day, which, um, or the next day, sorry, and that was my first sort of um, venture into watching women's cricket, and I couldn't believe that there actually was a little pathway there that we could go. Yeah, yeah, and do you think actually that that whole idea of you can't be what you can't see, which mm. which is really helping the growth of girls' cricket and the female pathway being a lot more established in 2022 than it was back there in the 90s. Even that little taste for you, do you reckon that was that was a key moment? Yeah, it was. And, I mean, I, I, mean, I was lucky that my mum and dad supported me sort of playing cricket or playing any sport to, to that point. But I, I remember going to, I think it was called the Blues Brothers uh, Cricket Clinics back oh, in the day. I went to them as well. Yeah, and it was... So good. I think Mark Wall was there or Steve War, Wayne Holdsworth, all these sort of male players. And I was, again, I was the only girl, but I, it was so good being able to do that. And then I thought, well, and if there was another girl, it was like, oh my gosh, there's another girl here. This is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, like I, I found a bat that I had signed back in the day and it had all male players on it. And, you know, years later, oh, a couple of years ago, actually, I, I saw her, one of the girls there, she had all female players. Um, on her bat, and and that made my day um, to see that that had happened. And there was also one of the young boys that I coached. He had Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy on his on his cricket bat signed, and you know that was unheard of to to even have a female player, let alone a boy having a female player on there. So I think they're starting to realise cricket's cricket, and um, you know there's great role models out there for females and also males. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I've I've got two sons and a daughter as well myself and I know my boys love cricket as cricket and they'll watch the WBBL as passionately as they watch the the BBL as well so it definitely is making inroads and an impact now you make your debut in the New South Wales under 21s and I believe like we're going to talk a little bit about your bowling later (laughs) on but but at the cricket library we've been sort of delving through the archives at six for nine Oh, 15 overs it was. Um, and I was 17, I, I made that team. And I got picked as a bowler. I think I was batting at like number six or seven. Um, and I bowled some pretty good pace, I would say. Um, <laughs> I might be selling, selling my bowling here. But um, I bowled really good outswing. And predominantly, I was more an all-rounder. Um, and it just worked. I think it was against Victoria, it might have been on that day. Everything just worked. We played um, two-day cricket back then. And it just was like, it was like I had a ball on a string that day and, and I didn't buy one bad ball. I was sort of nudging. There was a couple of edges through slips and things like that. But um, unfortunately, I had a, a stress fracture, which, you know, back in the day, we, we, we just got told we had a sore back. But um, reading some notes, I actually set, found some medical notes. Um, you know, it said, uh, yeah, little stress fracture in my back. So oh, that wow. kind of. Um, curtailed my my bowling career a little bit after that, but um, I certainly enjoyed bowling and being in the game. It was kind of like, and I'm sure you have it too, Matt, you have a bit of white line fever when you get the ball in hand. Um, (laughs) You can be the nicest person in the world, but you're just so much more competitive when you're not sometimes a full-time bowler and all of a sudden you just want to make the most of those sort of overs that you get. So that was kind of what it was like later on in my career. Yeah, and... uh that tasted under 21s level for New South Wales. What, what are your recollections of, of breaking into the New South Wales Breakers? Now, the Breakers have this uh, remarkable record as the most successful team in almost any sport. I, I think you'd have to struggle to find a, a more successful era than, than what we saw with the Breakers in the Women's National Cricket League competition. You come in and you become part of that. Can you describe what it felt like to you to first break in and then um, what you learned about winning at the Breakers? Yeah, look, I, I was so privileged that I was able to play for the Breakers and I, I was, 
in there the, the year before the WNCL started. So we played a two-week tournament, I think it was, um, in Queensland, actually. And uh, we lost in the final to Victoria. I got to play at the Gabba, and I was, I was like, "This is what, what's going on here? This is like a dream come true. Um, unfortunately, it was the same uh, week that I got my HSC results, um, which I didn't do as well as I did, but all my teammates got around me and took me out for a lemonade to... Uh, uh, try and get me off that uh, bad point of what happened in my HSC. But um, the next year we played the WNCL and I think we played Victoria again. And sort of where we started from, we had the great Belinda Clark, who, who was the best leader I've ever played under. Um, she just set the standard on and off the field of what you need to be as a professional. And back then we weren't getting paid. so But she was still the ultimate professional um, in everything that she did at cricket. And she just led the way so well. And I think we, we got 113 and we defended it. We won by one run. Um, and that sort of set us on this road of it doesn't matter where you're at, you, you can win from anywhere. And, and that's certainly what happened. And we were so um, happy to have that uh, sort of career where we, we didn't let anybody else play in a final. We lost a couple of finals, but we didn't let anyone else take that title of how many consecutive times we'd made a grand final. So... It's something I look back on with pride. Um, and unfortunately, the last couple of years, they haven't quite made that final. And, and there's different reasons why that's happened. But um, hopefully, um, they can restore that sort of history from this year on. Yeah, and, and you end up playing over 100 games for New South Wales at WNCL level, uh, 14 half centuries. You, you get into the nervous 90s, so to speak. What, what was it like to come back in and get that um, get that 100th game under your belt? Yeah, well, I um, my whole career, I was pretty good at getting dropped. Um, <laughs> I think I just got, it's, it's something I put on my resume. Um, uh, three times from Australia. And there's not many people that can say they got dropped on 99 games, uh, which I did for New South Wales. I was having a horrid run. Um, and I was more a confident sort of player. Lisa Kiley was the coach, actually. I remember we were in Adelaide, and the second game of the WNCL round that was on that Sunday, and I knew I was getting dropped. So I think I, I went and had a couple of lemonades, and I was kept getting <laughs> these calls from Lisa Kiley, and I kept going to climb, to climb, to climb. I think she rang about 20 times. Um, and Julie Hayes was next to me, and Lisa Kitely's ended up ringing her saying, can you put guys on the phone? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I know I'm dropped. It's okay. It's a shame and, Australia uh, Post weren't in charge of the yeah. uh, <laughs> delivery of the news. You might have you got that 100th game in sooner. Yeah, exactly right. And, um, yeah, I got dropped that weekend. But Christine Briley was uh, the, the head selector, I think, at the time, and just said, you've got to go and get runs. And, and I did. I went back to grade cricket, and I think I got a hundred, and came back in and, and got that hundredth game. And and that was uh, I still look back on it with pride. There's not that many um, female players that have played a hundred games for New South Wales, so it's something that um, it can never be taken away from me. But it's certainly um, you know getting dropped so many times and having to work so hard. I think it's made me a better coach um, because I can understand where you know stress comes from for the players or trying to maintain where you are. And I look at someone like Elise Perry and Meg Lanning; they're unbelievable players that they've been able to maintain the, um, the rage. I guess you could say their whole careers, and you know I take my hat off to them. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal um, resilience as well to be able to come back and just keep keep putting yourself out there and keep keep putting your hand up. And you, you eventually get selected for Australia, one day international cricket uh, against New Zealand. You run out, Gozzi, for 30. Yeah, and, you know, um, I, I remember getting picked in that side going, this must be an error. Um, there's something <laughs> wrong. I think, I, I think I got a phone call and then a letter. Um, and it was, was at Bankstown, and I, I remember getting picked in there, and I got told years later why. We played some trial matches intra-squad. I, I just was happy to be around the Australian side in, in the squad. Um, I wasn't even a member of that squad. And I, I think I hit one of the fast bowls, I won't mention their name, um, over the top of cover, um, one bounce into the boundary. And that's what got me picked in the Australian side because I played two shots, and I like to be aggressive. And... That game at uh, Bankstown Oval, I remember that I couldn't afford new spikes. Um, 
So oh, unfortunately, wow. yeah, I slipped over mid wicket. Um, mid, yeah, I slipped over, and unfortunately, I got run out. I, I just had no way of getting back. But you know, I couldn't afford new spikes, so that's why. Um, you know, when you're working for $10 an hour back then, you have to save your money for a mobile phone, you know, so you can get that phone call. But, um, yeah, unfortunately I got run out. And I think actually one of the older players bought me some spikes, so that couldn't happen again <laughs> afterwards. But um, I actually – I don't have any games of me playing except my dad found some footage of that. So I actually watched that a couple of months ago and – yeah, unfortunately, it got run out. But I was actually pretty quick between the wickets back then, Matt. Not now, but um, <laughs> I was running, batting with um, Joanne Broadbent. Like, what a another legend of Australian yeah. cricket. And what a person to learn off. So I was like the baby just looking up in awe. Um, I guess, you know, back in the day, I loved Bon Jovi. It'd be like me, meeting John Bon Jovi, like looking at him with stars. That was me looking at all these Australian players, you know, 50 um Belinda Kite, Lisa Kitely, Joe Broadbent, like Karen Rolton, and I was just surrounded by superstars. And you get to go over to India, Eden Gardens, nineteen ninety seven. You play a World Cup final. Yeah, that, a bit surreal as well. I had no idea what was going on. I thought this international cricket was easy going. You know, when I went over there, <laughs> um, you know, thinking, uh, you know, we'll just go in, we'll just win, we're undefeated. Um, I got a 50-odd against England, and I was really stoked just to be there, let alone play. Mm. And I walked out into the middle. We um, we bowled first. Um, I think we got them out for 160-odd. We were only chasing. And I went out to number three, and walking out to the middle, I, I just stopped and looked at the crowd, which I should never have done because, you know, our biggest crowd in Sydney was probably 100 people, and that was the renter crowd of the parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sisters and brothers, and you go out there and there's 60,000 people and and they're all women. Um, and the only men that were there were the ones holding machine guns and guns to make sure the crowd weren't, um, you know, get, misbehaving, which was never going to happen anyway. But yeah. I looked around and uh, I just went, oh, my God, what what's going on? And all of a sudden I got really anxious and you know, the first ball I hit, I actually was Paula Flannery bowling. I smacked it back on the full she dropped it, went for four, and it was over. And I just got into the middle, and I, Belinda Clark was there, and I went, "Oh, thank God for that!" Like, and she goes, "Pull your head into the game. You got to start concentrating." I went, "Okay, you know, <laughs> if Belinda Clark tells you to do something, you do it." Yeah, <laughs> so that's the PG version, um, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it worked. And I think I got thirty odd, and and we won, and it was unbelievable. You know, twenty five years this this year, I think it is. Mm. Um, so it's an unbelievable memory, and I just thought it was going to continue on. Unfortunately, it didn't, I, but I was actually very, very lucky that I got to play in that team, you know, as I said before, surrounded by superstars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and the con- conditions in India, had you been to India before? Or is this your first first trip? Oh, that was my first trip, and my first thought when we got off, we were staying in Delhi first. And I looked out the window, I went, oh, geez, it must be cold outside. Look at all the fog. Um, woke up the next morning at, you know, sort of 10 o'clock jet, jet lagged and that fog was still there. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's smog. <laughs> <laughs> so realised um, it was so hot and humid and that was their winter. Um, and look, it opened my eyes. I, you know, I'm a girl that grew up in the Hawkesbury. Uh, you know, get, going to Sydney was a big trip. Um let alone going to India. And it just sort of opened my eyes to sort of, you know, the world, I guess, and and how other people are, you know, struggling. And, um, you know, when you're seeing orphans and things like that, it, it's just really sad to see. Yeah, yeah. And and did you get to immerse yourself in the culture or was it pretty much team hotels and cricket grounds? No, we did. And we got to go around a little bit. Um, and and I, I think I got on a rickshaw, which that's taking your own life in your own hands. <laughs> um, but there's a picture in the paper, actually, of me just sitting in there, just just having a look. And um, we got to go to the Taj Mahal as well, which mm. is unbelievable. Um, and it was real character building for our side. That, you know, if you go away there now in the Australian side, you're staying in five-star hotels. We, we were never doing that. We stayed at a tennis ranch, um, which we got moved for because there was a mice infestation sort oh. of in the whole place of cockroaches. 
So we didn't get five-star sort of things. Um, I think we were there from early December and Christmas Eve we were riding around and I found the Hilton Hotel and I thought, this is the best Christmas ever. And I went in and I actually had a spaghetti bolognese and that was it for me. I was like, this is superb. <laughs> I, found, <laughs> I found my home. It was the best Christmas ever, just, just finding somewhere, um, you know, that you could eat some food that wasn't numbered or something else. But, um, you know, it was, it was character building for our site because we weren't just pampered over there. We, we had to do everything ourselves and, and it, it sort of brought our side together a lot more. And we were well prepared, um, you know, from our management staff and coaches and things on what to expect. But um, certainly it was, you know, the, the poverty that's over there and things like that, it just really opened my eyes to, geez, how lucky we are in Australia. Oh, absolutely, Goz, absolutely. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna play a name association game with you now. Um, uh, CMA Shillington, Claire Shillington, 90 games for Ireland, uh, the longest, I think the third longest career in women's ODI history. She played international cricket for 19 years and 195 days. Uh, that name to you, when I, when I say that name, what, what, what pops into your head? Could it, could it be uh, a wicket, Matt? I'm not oh. sure. <laughs> could it be that she was your bunny in international <laughs> cricket? A hundred percent of your international <laughs> ODI wickets, Claire Shillington. <laughs> I'll take that because she's a very good cricketer. Well, she, she was a very good cricketer and she's an awesome person. Um, we got along like a house on fire when I was there, probably not after I took took her wicket, um, <laughs> which I must say was caught by Belinda Clark. I think it was at mid-on, not that I remember, um, but uh, vaguely remembering that it was caught there. And, um, you know, it was one of my best overs that I ever bowled in international cricket, Matt. Yeah, well, yeah, your, your other time uh, bowling none for 12. So yep. the one for three against Ireland there in Dublin gives you that career average of 15. So we're, we're talking all around the status here. The, just a little footnote to this. So, so you you bowl in this game, and you are one of nine bowlers. Can can I? I just ask this question, and this is with all due respect to wicketkeeper Julia Price. But ha, how did she get a bowl? Yeah, well, you know what, all wicketkeepers they're they're pretty good with their sort of windmill sort of action. Um, okay. They have this front arm, it goes out straight. Um, Leonie Coleman was the same. But they actually bowled pretty well. Uh, you sort of seam up. Most of them bowled sort of outswing. Um, and Julia Price wasn't that bad. She was actually a pretty good sort of, I would say, eighth change bowler. Um, but, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, she was okay. And, um, yes, yeah, she did get a bowl, which it kind of puts a dampener on my wicket, but that's okay. Um she, she'll probably say that she set she set up that wicket. No, no, she, she bowled after you, so oh, you, you 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 kind of softened things up, and they thought, oh, <laughs> here's here's a chance. That's the only six oh, well, balls she bowled in international cricket. So, yeah. um, well, there's not many people that get to say they've done that. So she did do that. Um, who who took so, the gloves? Can you remember? Uh, Does anyone remember? Oh God, might need to no, put that out I to our librarian. Remember. Absolutely, yeah. I can't remember who would have taken Oh, no, here we go. Here here we go. Some breaking news. In the official match notes on Crick Info, uh, I can reveal Lisa Kitely. Lisa Kitely kept while Julia Price bowled. Wow. Imagine if Pricey had got a wicket. We would never have heard the end of it, seriously. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think she'll be thrilled. Like mine, really. uh, I think she'll be thrilled that she's getting mentioned <laughs> in the same sentence as Michelle Gosko when it comes to bowling. So oh. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Well, well, I used to have this thing that I would throw the ball, Matt. I, I, I did throw the ball. I, I had My elbows got dislocated when I was a kid. Okay. So I didn't have the ability. It wasn't past 15 degrees. I didn't change the international rules like some other bowler we know. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't help it. That's, that's how my elbows are. So, you know, I used to get pinged and I never got called for throwing, but I, I used to get grief from those girls all the time. And I just like to put it out there. That was 
a genetic thing that I could not have changed. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we've got that on the record because uh, I know a lot of our listeners would like that cleared up. So that's been fully cleared up now. Um, 2000, 2001, you have a cracking year in Sydney women's cricket. Uh, lots of runs, wickets as well, all with a, uh, a legal action, um, <laughs> a, a, and that leads to you coming in for for one of the biggest names in Australian women's cricket. Zoe Goss for the for mm. the for the tour of England. Uh, what what was your mindset like? Can you think back to then? Uh, maybe give us some insights in into if you could bottle the good parts of what was going on there. What what were the key ingredients to that success? Yeah, well, ninety seven obviously was the World Cup. Ninety eight, I actually went to England on the Ashes tour, and I think I played one game the whole time. So I was thinking that this cricket business is easy. Um, I think I, I didn't get the most fit sort of I have been in my life in 98. And I had to fight my way back in. Um, probably my training work ethic wasn't as good as it should have been. And I think going back to grade cricket, um, mum always had uh, a saying for me, be nice to the people on the way up because they're the ones you see on the way down. So for me going back to grade cricket, I, I had to knuckle down um, and make sure that I tried to sort of make the most of this opportunity. And my mum did say that to me. Just, you know, you only got one shot at this. You need to make the most of it. And, you know, it was tough for us because we were all working full time. Um, and I was studying at uni as well. So for me, it was tough trying to fit in. But I needed to not have these excuses. Everyone had the same sort of level playing field as what I did. So I think for me, I just went back and gone, right, let's start enjoying cricket. It's not a chore. It's something I've loved since I was five. Um, go back out and enjoy it. And that was the best thing that could have happened to me that I did get dropped because I was able to make the most of it um, that season. And I, and I love playing great cricket. I love playing for my club. And uh, for me, that, that made cricket enjoyable. And I sort of, as you said, needed to bottle that a little bit more when the tough times were on. So... Uh, and back then in the Australian side, sometimes there'd be three or five games a year. That was it. So it was a bit cutthroat a little bit for us who were on the fringes of the Australian side. So um, whereas I knew sort of going back to club cricket, I was going to get selected every week. And um, that was a bit more reassuring that, all right, well, I, I belong here. And I kind of didn't think I belonged in that Australian side early on. As yeah. I mentioned before, it was like, rock stars, you know, looking up to these people. So I, I just didn't feel like, feel like I belong. So, um, yeah, that was sort of a turning point for me. Yeah, now you, you get to make your, your test debut. Um, what Was there any fanfare, any cap presentations or...? <laughs> No, Talk us nothing like that. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd got given my cap by someone. I think it was just given out, just handed out lunch or something. Um, and none of us really played in a baggy green. We, we had a cap um, because the baggy greens were funny because you couldn't put your ponytail through oh, it. Oh, okay. yeah. Yep. Um, and that was pre-helmets as well. So we just batted in our sort of baseball style sort of cap. Um, I think that was everybody, just about all their... Um, wide brim um, Greg Chapel back in the day. Um, but, yeah, that that wasn't – there was no fanfare about it. Um, it was literally who's your cap and that was it. Yeah, and um, the game itself, England win the toss and bat. They get skittled for 100. Uh, Catherine Fitzpatrick, 5 for 29. Um, then you do something remarkable on test debut, a double 100. 204 off 345 balls. That's going at a fair clip in Test cricket as well. So, uh, and 395 minutes at the crease. That's a fair, there's a fair bit, fair bit of endurance required oh. there to bat for that long. Yeah, I was a bit tired um, <laughs> after that. I wanted to scone after the game um, and lemonade um, to celebrate. Um, but look, that, that game, it sort of, it fades into memory a little bit now, but I just remember standing out there going, this this is the dream, to play a test. Um, it's something you've watched on TV for so long and how to embrace the opportunity. And I didn't have any plans about how many runs I wanted to get. I just wanted to get one. Yeah. Um, and I think I batted at number four that day and I had to go in and bat, um, I think, for about 45 minutes at the end of 
the first day and I was batting with Lisa Kiley and I, I got that excited that I think last ball of the day I hit the ball straight to mid-wicket and I called yes and she's like, what are you doing? No. Like, I, I would have been run out by half a pitch um, or, or barbecued Lisa Kiley. So um, she's like, just calm down. You've got some money. I went, oh, okay. And um, I was rooming with Charmaine Mason who was just as good as Catherine Fitzpatrick. They were like a good duo bowling together. She was... Uh, Probably Fitzy was quicker, but um, Charmaine could swing the ball a little bit both ways, and and she was a really hard player to play against. But I was rooming with her, and, and she thought she was my lucky charm um, after after this uh, two hundred. So I roomed with her for the whole two months, pretty much. Um, and yeah, I was lucky that she came out, and I, I I'd sort of gone through my you know twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Um, and she said to me at lunch break, like, if you get a hundred, I'll, I'll give you 20 quid. And I'm like, oh, you beauty, we were getting 20 quid a day. That was our payment. I was like, oh my gosh, like, this, this is so good. I can afford dinner. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and I got a hundred. And then, um, she actually said to me, I think it was a tea or something like that. She's like, if you get 200, um, I'll give you 50 quid. And I'm like, oh my God, if I get that, I can buy a steak. So I was very excited, driven by my stomach, mind you. Um, and, and as it would be, um, I got to 194, I think, and we had nine wickets down and comes out to bat was Charmaine Mason. She was the last. And I'm like, oh, there goes my 50 quid. I'm like, oh. Anyway, she's come out and she looked me in the eye and she's like, don't you, I won't swear, get out. We're going to get you to 200. I'm like, okay, all right. She was bossing me and she defended so well out there. She kept every ball out and I nudged my way to 200, which was unbelievable. And it was really good synergy for me to be out there with, with uh, Chucky and, and to get that. And after the game, we went out to celebrate. So that 50 quid that I got, I ended up putting on the bar and it, oh, I got none out of it anyway. So <laughs> oh, I didn't even get a steak. So, um, but yeah, it was surreal that sort of my 204 equals both innings from England. So mm. I I'm kind of, I wish I got one more run because then I could say I bet England on my own. But uh, <laughs> need your teammates out there, Maddie, as you know, um, to, to help you. And I was lucky enough to, to build those sort of partnerships with everybody and I couldn't have done it with my, without my teammates. Yeah, uh, absolutely amazing uh, to do that. And then you, you got to call Elise Perry's double hundred uh, North Sydney Oval. Were you, were you in comms when she, when she raised the bat for 200? I was actually ill that day. I was supposed to be there, and I'm getting uh, messages from uh, Ishigua and Charlotte Edwards is there. I think they were calling it, and Lisa Salaka. And I'm getting messages saying, "Are you here? We want to get you out the comms box." And I'm like, "I'm sick at home." And I remember messaging Pez afterwards. Um, I didn't get to celebrate mine twice, mind you. At least yeah. <laughs> And you know, I was so happy for her that it was such a good crowd there. I'd been there the day before and to see so many young players out there, male and female, um, you know, cheering on what was going on. And we knew that we were watching some part of history and I'm, I'm so devastated I wasn't there the next day because she's made history. She, she's made that the home of women's cricket in Australia, North Sydney Oval, if it wasn't already. And... Yeah, such a special player, Elise Perry. Yeah, and, and you played club cricket with her as well. I did. And, you know, her and um, uh, Elisa Healy, and they were both in my under-13 squad at 12. And I had to separate them because they were talking too much. It was quite <laughs> cool. um, but I, I was very lucky enough to have them both at, um, back in the day, it was Balmain Cricket Club, which is now Sydney Cricket Club. And I knew how good Elise Perry would be because, She's playing first grade with us at 15 and it's lunchtime and I'm so excited to get into my chicken kebab and she's there eating activated <laughs> almonds and a banana or some, some random thing and I'm like, oh, oh, geez, you're making me feel bad, you know. <laughs> she, she was so disciplined even at grade cricket back then and, you know, she was training every single day um, with her, her dad who's absolutely lovely and, she just set the new benchmark for, for those players. And it's, I'm so proud and so happy for her to have had the career that she's had. And she's still got many years left if she, if she likes to. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Uh, for you transitioning out of cricket, uh, so you, you finish up playing, how, how is that transition for you? You, you? You've moved on to commentary and coaching now, but what was the initial period like and uh, how has that transition been? It was tough, Matt, to be honest. Um, cricket had been my whole life. Um, you know, to, to hang around your friends. So basically, they're your teammates, but they're your friends as well. Like, they're your mates. And, you know, it's a sort of, uh, unfortunately, it ended on a, a sort of a sour note for me in New South Wales. And, you know, I got offers to go to other states and I didn't want to play for anyone else. I, only, I was blue. Yeah. You know, that, I was sky blue. That's all I wanted to be with New South Wales. And... Um, it was tough. I was really lost. I was a bit bitter about it. Um, not not to anybody in particular. It was just me. I, I just couldn't watch any of the breakers games for probably two years. Wow. And now, I, I like I love the commentary, and um, it it took me a little while. Still coaching at New South Wales in the pathway, um, yep. and I'm really proud that I've been able to do that for 23 years straight. And I was there from uh, the original sort of. Oh, I was working under Christina Matthews back in the day. That was so mm. my age now. Um, but, you know, I, I got to learn off those sort of people. So I knew sort of what to do sort of with coaching, but I, I doubted myself pretty much like my career as well. But um, now I'm a much more comfortable sort of coach. And I'd like to think I'm sort of a people person. Um, I try and make them better people to make better cricketers. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of, I think, I got to work at Cricket New South Wales um, as a female participation specialist, which for me that was another dream job to go in and work for Cricket New South Wales, um, let alone play cricket for New South Wales. Mm. So for me to do that, and unfortunately that sort of contract ended, but that sort of you know sort of worked in for me going in and taking the plunge, um, much like Lisa Spalaka has done, and going to the big bad world with no plan of what I was going to do. But it's worked out pretty well that I've been able to start with um, Cricket New South Wales commentating the Shield cricket. Mal Con got me into that. Yep. And I did that for a whole year for free. I didn't get paid. I just wanted to learn how to do it. Um, and then luckily enough, I've been picked up by ABC and still Cricket Australia as well, doing the Shield and things like that and the WBBL. And I've done some international games. And coaching-wise, I'm coaching at UTS North Sydney Bears, the Mighty Bears. Um, been doing that for four years and, and also doing my private coaching. So I've been lucky that I've been able to fall back into cricket. And when you do you know, Matt, when, when you're dealing with cricket, it's not a job, is it? It's no. just something that you love. And you're like, this, this isn't – why am I getting paid for this? This is oh, Not that I'll tell anyone I'll do it for free, but um, – <laughs> You know, not saying that if anyone's listening, um, but uh, I'm I'm happy. I mean, geez, if you like playing football for a cricket, it, you're doing something that you love. So um, I'm hoping that I can keep doing it, and yeah, for for years on end because yeah, it's something that's deep in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And um, seeing you on Fox uh, was a real thrill just to see just to see the career progression there in, in the in the commentary realms. But things things take a turn health wise. Mm. Um, can can you talk us through um, just uh, how you're going now and and what what the the, the journey's been like for you since um, since taking a turn last year. Yeah, that week, so three days before what happened, um, I was on Fox and I've got a head for radio, as you know, Matt. Um, <laughs> oh, and yes. Thanks, Matt. Um, <laughs> but I was lucky enough to be asked to do that. Alex Blackwell actually um, sort of recommended me to, to Fox. And I, that day, I was so scared. Again, here we go again, not backing myself. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on there with some great people um, and... I think I did okay. I had some oh, really good You did good really people. well, Goz. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I had some people um, coming back to me sort of saying, this is awesome, great to see you on there. That was on the Tuesday. And then on the oh, – actually on that Friday, um, I'd been asked by Kate Carr at, at Fox if I'd wanted to do a couple more games the next week. And I was so excited. 
it was turning out to be a great day. Um, it was the 12th of November. I'd actually bought some new kicks at the shop, so I was excited to be wearing these new white shoes. <laughs> and um, I coached at Cricket New South Wales Pathway, which was the first one of the season because it's COVID. And unfortunately, that night, um, I, I went out for some food after coaching, and unfortunately, I, I suffered a stroke. And um, thank thank God that I'm a little fatty because I went out to get because <laughs> um, that saved my life and I was actually around people because I would have been at home on my own um, and probably wouldn't have made it. So I'm very lucky that I was out and those people called uh, the ambulance and took me to hospital and that saved my life. Um, I was unconscious for three or four hours. I had no idea what was going on. Um, it started with a toothache, pretty much. That's what I thought it was. Um, mm. And Dad got to the hospital about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I, I remember the first thing I said to him was, I was supposed to be commentating that Saturday um, at ABC for the WBBL. And Dad got to the hospital, um, slurring my words. Um, and I said to him, can you ring Tim from ABC and, and Charlotte Annabelle? And just let them know, I'm not coming in today, but I might be in tomorrow. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I didn't know. Um, and it wasn't till probably oh, 10 days afterwards that they sort of told me I had a hemorrhagic stroke. So um, I'm very lucky that I didn't um, uh, lose my life. And I'm mm. very thankful that um, I, I can walk and talk. Uh, I've been doing rehab at the hospital for the last sort of four months and I've got nerve damage down my left side and the right side of my face, um, which may never go away, but I'm so grateful. And what it did was it brought out the best in everybody that I know in cricket, mm. the community. I call it the family. Gee, I, I, honestly, I was so overwhelmed in hospital. I was in there for 19 days mm. and I was, just so overwhelmed. Um, I couldn't see. I lost vision in my right eye, but I could hear a little bit. Um, and I heard Lisa Slaker mention my name. I said, why is she talking about me? And she's talking about the stroke. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, what? Well, that, that, I think Lisa. I have no idea. So, um, but yeah, it, I've been so blessed to have such good people. And even people I don't know, I was getting messages from. And um, yeah, I, I'm just, Still overwhelmed with the support that I've had, um, and it's amazing how I still had like caterers, I had umpires, scorers, security guards, all these random people who I've met over the years, many many years of cricket. Um, mm. And that thing that Mum said to me, always be nice to the people on the way up, because they're the ones you see on the way down, really resonated with me um, through this whole thing. And it's open, not that it did, my eyes weren't open, but it. You know, you could be talking to somebody or see somebody. Um, you don't know what they've gone through. I, I look like me again, but yeah. I, I know that you know I've still got some deficits. But um, you know, it's a bit like mental health. You can't see it. They're not wearing a badge of honour that there's something wrong. So you know, just be nice to people. It's not hard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how, how are things tracking now? We, we've seen a bit of your Cliff Young shuffling on the social media <laughs> pages. <laughs> How are you tracking? How are you feeling? Um, what's the road ahead look like? Yeah, well, it's six months today, Matt. Since oh, the wow. Yeah, I'm very lucky. So I get to talk to you. So you're my prize I get to talk <laughs> on your podcast, which is awesome. And look, I look back on where I was and, and where I am now. Um, you know, I'm not back to, I can't run or anything yet. Um, I've still got, they call it central post stroke pain down my left side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might not get better, um, which it probably won't. But the Cliffy Shuffle, that, that was amazing um, to be able to trial that. And, you know, I, I had to do a lot of research. Probably it wasn't the best care that I got after I got released from, I say released, from hospital. Um, I couldn't wait to get out of there. But it's been a struggle to find out. So what I've been trying to do is involve myself um, in stroke recovery groups, um, They've yep. got a young stroke project thing they're doing at UTS and, and trying to make it easier for other people um, who have gone through it because it, it is really difficult. I had no idea. Uh, the cognitive sort of stuff that goes on, I felt like every five minutes, you know, I'd watch the end of Marley and me, you know. It was, it was horrible. It was um, so like the emotional roller coaster that you go on and 
you know, it, first couple of months, I couldn't even go to the shops. The um, sensory overload was, I just couldn't handle it. But now I'm, I'm, I can handle anything like that. It's fine. And I think the commentary and the cricket community welcome me back and um, everything like that. And even doing things like this, it really does help me. So um, I'm very grateful that I am where I am. I'll hopefully get back to driving and get back to work and what my coaching looks like. I'm not 100% sure um, whether physically I'll be able to do that, but I can walk with talk, Matt. I'm very lucky compared to some other people that I see at rehab. and mm. um, I've kind of become their cheerleader for everybody in there. Um, yeah. like, sort of saying I'm there for sort of two and a half hours every week and sort of just cheering them on. So it's finding for me that probably I don't need the rehab as much now because I've reached that point where um, my muscles are sore and things like that. But um, for me to be able to be their cheerleader and help them, um, I get a lot out of that rehab as well, just doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And hopefully hopefully the road uh, to recovery continues and we get to hear you back on the airwaves and see you back down at the nets with your, your players uh, before too long. Yeah, I hope so. And look, the best thing for me, like seriously, Michael Dalton's daughter who works at Cricket News above Adelaide, I call her Radelaide, and she <laughs> sent me a message, you know, a couple of months ago and just saying if I'm, she's 12, um, if I need to talk to somebody, she's here for me and all that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, seriously, the, these kids these days, like the people that I've, you know, been in touch with or have coached or whatever, that's just one example of, you know, 12-year-olds or 10-year-olds, whoever it is saying it's great to see you or if I need to talk to somebody. Like, yeah. it, I mean, gee, I, I'm, I'm so lucky and um, that I've got good people around me and, and uh, as I said, even the people I don't know uh, have been superb. Yeah, absolutely, Goz. And that, and that whole cricket family uh, is real and yep. it's, it's far-reaching, far and wide. Now, our... Hardest-hitting question. Well, this is probably the hardest-hitting question in the history of podcasts, if we're being honest. Uh, <laughs> if you could take three people to the nets. Now, we've talked about your bowling before. What we, what I forgot to mention, which mm. was your um, T20 debut for Australia, you're involved in a bowl-off. Yeah, how weird's that? Well, not, um, not, not you personally, but the, the game's tied and, and there's a bowl-off. Um so you might you might want to think about uh, uh, if you would choose anyone from that bowl off to maybe come and bowl in the nets, or it might be might might be someone from outside of cricket. We've we've had all sorts of answers uh, on the podcast for this one. Who who are you taking to the nets? Well, I'm not going to be too com- controversial or anything. Um, I I want to take in the cart now. Because I reckon she'd still be as good as she was back then. Yeah. And I, what I would do more is probably pick her brain about coaching because I think she would have been a superb coach. So she'd be my number one because I'd want to learn off her. And I, I would pick her brain yeah, way more than I did when I was playing. Um, I would probably take Steve War because um, I learned the slog sweep off him watching it on TV. Oh, and how that good. was my favourite shot. Like, and literally just watching it off TV going, What's that? Oh, okay, I'll practice that at training because um, he can bat and bowl at me, so that's good. Um, and but I would take you uh, because, <laughs> yeah, this is I, outstanding. I, I swear, because you are the ultimate cricket nuff, and I would just, I would take pleasure in just seeing you play cricket. And honest to God, that that would be my third choice. Would be you. Oh, you are you are just climbing the ladder of. Uh, <laughs> Of, of respect from me, I, I, I've, I've always hoped that maybe someone might say that, um, and now <laughs> someone has, and you're the first person to do it. So anyone oh. who does it from now will just be jumping on the bandwagon. So you, you <laughs> I, I, I'd love that, uh, Stephen Moore and Belinda Clark. That'd be some good. I, I hope, I'd hope, yeah, I, I'd hope they could put up with our banter. Yeah, well, I, well, see, this is the thing. You'd ask the questions that I wouldn't think of. So yeah. then you're you're picking their brain, and I'm going, why didn't I think of that question? Because you're a very, very good podcaster, obviously. <laughs> and I think I could listen in on what you're asking, 
Um, and you would enjoy the process of having to back to Steve War and also um, bowl at Belinda Clark. So for me, that would be the best to watch that. Let, let's make that happen one day. Stephen and Belinda, <laughs> if you're listening, um, get in touch. Get in touch. We, we could make this happen. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe at Wilson Park, maybe we could... Maybe we could get together there for I a net. I can see that up. I know people, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I, was, I did have this thing on the MRF as Steve Wall. So, um, and he seriously was one of my favourite cricketers ever. Um, so I actually went to an MRF launch. Oh, Wall. right. So um, he might know my name a little bit. And uh, I know people that know him. And obviously I know Belinda Clark. So, Maybe one day we can tee that up. Yeah, I think so. Let's just add it to the bucket list of, of things to <laughs> attend to. Well, Gozzy, we, we could have we could have talked for five days, uh, but we we're restricted by podcast timing. So I really do appreciate chatting to you any day of the week, but really glad that we could record this and um, share some of your story with, with the followers of the Cricket Library podcast and Hope it inspires some people. Hope it um, encourages people to to love and play the game. Uh, and that's something that you you've embodied your whole career as a player and as just a lover of the game. Uh, you embody all the things that we love about cricket. So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank, you, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. A massive thanks to Michelle Gosko for joining us on this edition of the Cricket Library podcast. Isn't she sounding well? It's great to hear that she's on the road to recovery and uh, making making good progress as she fights her way back to full health. And we're really thankful that uh, she is doing so well. Uh, we're thankful that she took the time to share her story with us what what a good story it is a, a, a real story of perseverance overcoming adversity making the most of her opportunities and just that love of the game you can hear it in her voice when she's talking about cricket she is one of the most passionate cricket people you'll ever meet and it's so good that she's able to inspire youngsters to love and play the game through her coaching and, of course, her commentary career, lo- loving her work in the commentary box and really hoping that she gets more opportunities uh, both on Fox and the ABC so that we can hear some of her insights of the game. A, a very astute cricket brain and a wonderful contributor to those broadcasts and a wonderful guest. I'm sure she'll be a very popular guest with all of our listeners. If you enjoyed today, make sure you tell your friends about it Make sure you share the love, so to speak, and you keep telling people about the Cricket Library podcast. If you like reading books, uh, there is a book uh, for the love of cricket, haiku poems inspired by the summer game, and you can grab that on Amazon or wherever you buy your favourite e-books from. We are getting hard copies. They're on the way soon. And plenty more guests coming up throughout the winter. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. We look forward to your company again next time. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.